Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Peter Vertheim is the Executive Director of the Executive Council of Australian Jury, which is the equivalent in Australia to our own Jewish Board of Deputies. Peter was a lawyer for 32 years and has been the President of the New South Wales Jewish Board of Deputies as well. One of his responsibilities is to work as a member of the Order of Australia for services to promote communal harmony and understanding. Peter, you join me again. Thank you so much for staying on. I think South Africans are absolutely fascinated to know about Australia and Australian jury, not not mainly because many of our expats actually reside there. Um, how did the first Jews, when did the first Jews come to Australia? Well, Australia is probably one of the only places in the world where we can pinpoint an exact date for the arrival of the first Jews, and that was the 26th of January 1788. Uh, There were anything up to 20 Jewish convicts on the First Fleet. Uh, One of them was Esther Abrams, who uh, uh, within a very few short years after arriving, married the governor and effectively ran the colony uh, because she was such a dynamic personality. Uh, The first um, burials were conducted, I think, in the 18, somewhere between 1810 and 1820. And already there was a, there were informal congregations established, and then the first congregation was established in York Street in Sydney in 1837. It then uh, amalgamated with another um, city-based uh, minyan, and they formed the Great Synagogue, which was built in 1878. It's one of the most beautiful synagogues that you could ever hope to enter into, and I, I say that... Um, giving full disclosure of my bias as a member of that synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite okay. I look forward to seeing it one day. So 20 Jewish convicts arrived at the same time. and and um, But your first kind of minion was a lot later, so they obviously didn't get together straight away and kind of establish themselves as such. Well, the, the records uh, attest to uh, the first minion having taken place at that time. Informally, we just don't know. We don't know. It's, 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 it's quite more possible. Than, it's, it's possible, I would say, likely, that uh, Jews who arrived from England as convicts would have been thrown together by necessity and, and probably would have uh, come together. Do we uh, know, out of interest, what were they convicted for? Oh, petty crimes, you know, petty larceny, uh, petty theft, pilfering. Uh, um, so look, it's kind of an it, English origin, though. So you're... Yeah. I mean, what, what happened was that... Um, after the American Revolution, the British needed uh, another place as a dumping ground for their convicts because they, uh, there were so many of them. The law, laws were so harsh that uh, they couldn't accommodate them all in their prisons. So they had them in these uh, hulk ships out in the harbour and all sorts of other places which were unsanitary and uh, inhuman. Uh, and uh, they then decided, oh, well, Australia. we've lost America, we'll try Australia. And the descendants of those convicts are so grateful uh, for the opportunity <laughs> to grow up in that country. They certainly won the lottery of life by ending <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> Peter, are there migrations of Jews? I mean, I'm just comparing it to South, to South Africa because we had immigrants coming in waves, you know, yes. from Lithuania, Germany, etc. Are you similar? Absolutely. Uh, the uh, waves came in the 1850s with the gold rushes uh, and again um, throughout the uh, the 19th century, uh, late 19th century, early 20th century, a small number of the Jews who escaped the pogroms in Russia um, 
came to Australia. I mean, most of them went to the United States. Uh, uh, a key uh, element went to what became Israel. But uh, quite a few of them ended up in Australia. And interestingly, there, was, uh, there were even some who uh, had, had gone to what was then Ottoman Palestine, uh, found it too hard, ended up in Australia... Uh, and some of them, a small number of them, then enlisted in the Australian Armed Forces at the beginning of World War One, and ended up serving in Palestine, hmm. in Ottoman Palestine, and helping to liberate the country from the Ottomans and reuniting with family. We, we actually have records of this. And uh, I mention this because yeah, in a few short days, on the 31st of October, Israel will celebrate the centenary of the uh, liberation yes. of Beersheba, in which uh, the Australian Light Horse played no small part. Hmm. And the Australian Prime Minister will be there with hundreds, literally hundreds of Australians, uh, including dozens of politicians. It's an, an extraordinarily important Will event. you be there? I wish I could be, but I, um, I had to come here for the World Jewish <laughs> Congress Forum, um, uh, and I have to go back for other reasons. But I was at the opening of the, uh, the park of the unknown soldier for the uh, dedicated to the Australian Light Horse, which was opened in Besheva in 2008, and it was financed by uh, an Australian Jewish philanthropist, uh, Richard Pratt. That was a, an extraordinary event where Shimon Peres, who was then President of Israel, came together with the Governor-General of Australia and military representatives and so on. It was This will be an, an even bigger event. Uh, and uh, for anyone interested in this sort of history, which I find fascinating, uh, there's going to be a lot of material available online. It is. I actually have goosebumps when you talk about it because it's it's so real and so relevant and you know so part of our. Can I add just one thing to yes, that? Yes, of course. Uh, among the light horse troopers who were in the charge that uh, delivered the coup de grace that uh, defeated the Ottomans uh, were Aboriginal. Soldiers, uh, and their descendants are among those who are going there. Hmm. And uh, a wonderful woman in our community, uh, in the Jewish community, Jenny Simons, has put together uh, a uh, some research about their forebears who fought and uh, the, the whole story about it. Uh, there's something. There was something about it on Israel television the other day, and of course, um, another group of four, uh, of descendants of these. Uh, light horsemen, they were devout Christians, and um, they are among Australia's um, most fervent supporters of Israel. They're descendants. Uh, uh, they've written histories about the whole thing, and they also are going. And uh, So it's, it's, uh, it's not just a, an event for Jewish Australians. This is an event for the whole country. Just to fast forward a little bit um, to, to the work that you do and have done as a lawyer with the Aborigine communities, what is the relationship between the Jewish and Aborigine communities like? Extraordinarily good. Uh, there's a long history of uh, sympathy between the two communities. It goes all the way back at least to 1938 when the de facto leader of the Aboriginal peoples uh, uh, convened a congress on the 150th anniversary of um, the first settlement in Australia. And um, uh, and uh, this was in 1938, and it coincided with um, the, uh, the, the happening of Kristallnacht in Germany. And this 
Aboriginal leader, his name was William Cooper, decided that they would suspend their Congress for a short time to deliver a message of protest to the German embassy, which was then located in Melbourne. And this was at a time when Aboriginal people were not even recognised as human beings in Australia, <laughs> let alone having voting rights or citizenship rights. They had no rights at all. They had come together to defend their own interests and to plead to be treated as equal citizens. And yet they took time out from that very important and understandably struggle. engrossing yeah. struggle to, to stand up for oppressed Jews in Europe. And it's something we've never forgotten. We honour William Cooper in the Sydney Jewish Museum uh, so that, that's just a little mm, vignette, but it, it shows you um, how much we respect uh, our Aboriginal First Peoples. Uh, there have been numerous projects over the years between um, boards of deputies and uh, Jewish community councils in the various states with Aboriginal communities. One of the great projects was the Rona Tramby project where we took the experience of people who had recorded the testimonies of Holocaust survivors from Europe to now apply their skills to help uh, Indigenous Australians to record their lost mm, stories. So important. Uh, and uh, the, the Rona Tranby Trust was born out of that, um, and it was financed by uh, a couple, a Jewish couple who died tragically in a car accident but had left uh, this bequest in, in their estate. Which is so important. I mean, yeah. I think South Africa still has to deal with our past and recording our, our not being Jewish community, being... South African communities' stories, and I'm so pleased you are able to do that in Australia. You, you mentioned Holocaust. I know also Australia has one of the highest um, survivors from the Holocaust communities. Yes, in percentage terms, it, it is the highest uh, of any community in the world outside of Israel. Um, of course, uh, as time goes on, their numbers grow fewer and fewer, uh, which is um, sad. But we still have a number of them who are alive. Some, you know, they're in their late 80s, early 90s, or late 90s in one case, and they still act as volunteers at the Sydney Jewish Museum. They still take uh, school children from all around mm. Australia through the museum, explain the exhibits to them, give them a little talk about their own experience. They are living treasures of the Jewish community. Uh, uh, my own mother is one of them. She was a survivor of Auschwitz, and uh, I grew up with uh, only one set of grandparents and no uncles and no aunts. Uh, but my experience is by no means unique among Australian Jews. It's quite quite the norm. And just going back to the waves of immigration, that was one of the largest mm. waves, the, the, the wave that came in from Europe after World War Two. And then came the South Africans. And then came, <laughs> well, no, actually came the Hungarians from the Hungarian <laughs> uprising. And then came the South Africans after Sharpville and after uh, the events of the 1970s. And they're still and continuing to drip in. They do, uh, and we'll take every one of them who want to come and visit us and stay there because they have made an extraordinary contribution to Jewish life in Australia. Uh, they have assumed leadership in uh, Jewish communal positions. Uh, they are not in any way treated as kind of interlopers, uh, interlopers or outsiders by the Jewish community. We welcome them with open arms. Uh, we've had uh, not the current president of the Jewish Board of Deputies in New South Wales, but the previous one was South African. Yes, of Yair course. We, yes. And uh, a former, well, the current uh, pr president of the Jewish Communal Appeal in Sydney, the Umbrella Charity, is a uh, former South African, Stephen Chipkin. And there are many, many other examples I can give you. Uh, and 
they have made a wonderful, wonderful contribution to Jewish life. Uh, in Although we miss them Australia. terribly on a daily basis, well, uh, uh, <laughs> our uh, family and friends. Well, uh, I, I wish I could say we feel your pain because, uh, you <laughs> but know, you it's, don't. It's, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> your, well, it's, our it's, loss is your gain. It, it has been. I mean, it's been nothing of benefit to us. I sort of half joked to Wendy at the end of the conference that if we could reverse the last ice age and <laughs> move the tectonic plates so that we could reunite the continents into Gondwana land and we could then <laughs> move the South African and Australian Jewish communities Closer. together, amalgamate them, and uh, what, a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful merger that would be. Peter, can you just, just tell me a little bit about the challenges that Australian Jerry face? I think the... Uh, the major challenge in the long term is assimilation. Okay. Uh, Are your rates higher than elsewhere? They're lower than in North America. But higher than but in higher, South Africa. higher than in South Africa. Uh, and, and I don't just mean intermarriage. I'm talking about people who just opt out of the community, uh, people who, uh, who were born Jewish and identified as Jewish for a while who then drift away. That's one of the saddest things. We have approximately 50% of Jewish kids going to Jewish day schools, uh, as distinct from South Africa's 85%. The, uh, the quality of the day schools uh, in terms of the general secular education is extraordinarily high. They do really, really well. The quality of Jewish education, not as good as South Africa, I would say. We have something to learn from you. What, why is that? I think that the uh, uh, the, uh, the the Jewish studies teachers that we have there, there aren't as many of them. They're not ex-South Africans, is that They're what you're saying? They're not ex-South Africans. Yet. Uh, yet. Not, not yet anyway. Uh, so, um, <laughs> well, one or two of them I think might have been. But, uh, look, that's a really good question. I don't have a simple, direct and definitive answer to it, but there's obviously something that you're doing here in South Africa that we need to do? Well, one of the things we are so proud of as a Jewish community is our Zionism. I think we, we see ourselves as quite possibly the most Zionistic community out there. Do you feel the same in Australia? Yes, the uh, Jewish community uh, is overwhelmingly uh, Zionistic in the sense that they, they see Israel as the uh, expression of the right of national self-determination of the Jewish people and, uh, and support that. So... When the last general survey uh, conducted by the Jewish community was done in 2008, 80% described themselves as Zionists, and another 10% said they wouldn't describe themselves as Zionists, but they did support the general concept. Uh, we've just concluded the next survey, mm -hmm. and the results of that will be published in oh, January. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm sitting in well, bated I, breath. Well, me too. Um, <laughs> at our annual conference, which the ECAJ's annual conference will be held in uh, November 26th in Melbourne, uh, we uh, will have a sneak preview of the results from Professor Andrew Marcus at Monash University, who... Uh, was uh, one of the people who conducted the inquiry together with uh, yeah. people in New South Wales, demographers uh, David Graham and Gary Eckstein. We'll have to be in touch again after those results come out because I think uh, uh, there, may, there may not be indicators about Jewish diaspora or English-speaking diaspora communities. Well, uh, there are something like 6,000 or 8,000. There were 6,000 for the first uh, uh, survey in 2008. I think this one had over 8,000 respondents across Australia. Uh, what, where does Australia fit in in terms of diaspora Jewish communities? Where are you? 
We, you... Our numbers, are, that's a matter of some contention, as it always is. We would put the figure at about 120,000. Okay. And, um, Peter, people are often surprised to hear that Australia has a lot higher anti-Semitic incidences than we do here in South Africa. What are the nature of those incidences? Well, the ECHA, my organisation, puts out an annual report on anti-Semitism in Australia. We, um, I think, are probably better at recording the incidents to be truthful. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I agree with you. Uh, well, we we we're, we're pretty uh, we have a pretty good system in place. We've been issuing the report for the last well, since 1989, so it's uh, um, a very thorough report. We don't uh, we differentiate between actual acts of violence or threats of violence on the one hand, which we call incidents, and anti-Semitic discourse on the other hand, which we record separately and deal with in a separate part of the report. Uh, the numbers tend to come to around 250 incidents a year, Australia-wide, and uh, a lot of it is just nasty threats by post or by email mm. or by uh, telephone messages or what have you. Uh, the serious incidents tend to be very few and far between. But having said that, um, you know, there's graffiti attacks, there's uh, all sorts of things that happen. And, of course, when things flare, mm-hmm. flare up in Israel, you know, mm. during the war or whatever, mm-hmm. there is a spike in anti-Semitic yeah, incidents. The discourse and the incidents go up together. But in terms of dealing with them, what is kind of government's response? What are your media responses to that? Uh, overall, anti-Semitism is widely reviled as a phenomenon. I mean, it's, uh, it's seen as totally unacceptable. Uh, and uh, mainstream Australians are getting better at being sensitive to what constitutes anti-Semitism because that's always where the rub lies. Uh, it's easy enough to recognise traditional anti-Semitism in the form of the uh, thick-headed, uh, shaven-haired, uh, Nazi-saluting, skinhead types. Uh, everyone sees that as anti-Semitism, but the more subtle forms of anti-Semitism often elude people who are not Jewish mm. and not experienced in dealing with racism. We have a Human Rights Commission, as you do uh, here, which is generally pretty good at recognising uh, anti-Semitism when it occurs and in um, speaking out against it. And, of course, politicians will also speak out against it. Uh, we get a lot of Holocaust, uh, false Holocaust analogies or false analogies oh, to yes, Nazi yes. Germany. That happens it's with kind of a Zionism falling into anti-Zionism falling into anti-Semitism. No, not even that. Not I even mean, that. that's one certainly one, and that's anti-Semitism. But the, there are just people saying, uh, for example, uh, uh, you know, that some event occurred in Australia just recently. We had an example of um, the police being used to um, uh, raid uh, the office of a trade union. And people will say, oh, you know, Nazi Germany all over again. And, of course, you know, that that kind of discourse, as uh, Howard Jacobson observed, um, just ends up slowly whittling away the uniqueness and the seriousness of of, of what actually happened in the Holocaust. Hmm. So do you have any last comments in terms of uh, Australian Jewry and uh, your visit to South Africa? Anything? Well... I would not have visited South Africa but for the, the World Jewish Congress conference. I have no family here, so I wouldn't have had reason to come here. But now that I'm here, I'm really glad I came. Uh, I saw... I know I only scratched the surface in the short time I was in the country, but I saw quite a lot. 
and I also visited the Apartheid Museum yesterday, which uh, I was very happy that uh, I, I did. I was glad I was able to see that. And I think I might come again. That is absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing and being here in the studio. I know you have your own uh, station, not your own station, you have uh, your own programs. Well, we we have a a Jewish radio station that's just based in Melbourne, uh, and we have the uh, nationwide uh, uh, Jewish program, Jewish community program, every Sunday at 12 o'clock on SBS which is uh, presented by the uh, wonderful Nitzel Lowenstein. It's in English, Hebrew and Yiddish. Sounds absolutely amazing. Well, Peter, again, thank you so much. I wish you a safe trip back. Thank you. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.